And we are live. Greetings, friends of the apocalypse. Welcome to Podcast at Ground Zero, your home of the apocalypse, for episode 46, Twilight 2000, Ask Frank. So we are having Frank Fry uh, back on the show. We originally had Frank on around like 9 or 10, I believe. I, I don't quite remember, so it was, seemed like quite a long time ago, because it was. Uh, I can't believe we're almost up to 50 episodes already. It's uh, pretty pretty exciting stuff here. And if you guys can't hear Scott, because Scott's muted for the moment. Uh, <laughs> so, and Scott just waved, gave, gave this one finger salute. <laughs> would, you, would you like me to make noise? I can... I, can I would love you to make noise. No, I was just... Yeah. I was digging. So, so tonight... We have myself, Mr. Glancy, and Frank Fry with us to discuss. Well, it's more as so be Frank's going to be discussing Twilight 2000 more because we uh, put out when I put the event up to ask Frank if anybody had any questions for Frank related to Twilight 2000. Because uh, last time we kind of just uh, Frank gave us a little history of what he did and talked about and things like that. But this time we wanted to be more of a Q and A. Uh, from the actual fans, so, so they could ask any questions, any burning questions they may have had for Frank regarding uh, Twilight 2000. So that's what we're going to be doing this week. Um, if you're listening live, and if you still have any questions that you want to ask, you know, you could go ahead and still post them because I'm going to be keeping an eye on that. Uh, so you know, just post them onto the event page. You don't you uh, you don't have to follow directions and post them on that one. Just post them on the page at this point, just so we can easily see them. Or sometimes people post on the YouTube uh, uh, page. I'll keep a I'll keep an eye on that as well. So, uh, so we're gonna get started here in just a couple of minutes. Uh, but first, you know, we want to share share a couple of things, a couple of in the news kind of things, because I know one major important thing that happened last week was the official announcement for everybody's favorite game, Fallout. So we got Fallout Four uh, coming out. So there's a lot of news, not a press about that. Hallelujah! Uh, on E3, they talked a lot about stuff. Now, um, again, I'm still going to be curious to see how it all pans out because uh, I loved Fallout 3. I put hundreds of hours into that game. Loved it. Fallout Vegas, I Scott put just as much time, put more time into that than I put into Fallout 3. I couldn't finish the game personally. I just it it didn't engage me like Fallout 3 did. For whatever reason, I just... Well, that's just, because you're a communist homosexual. It is, maybe. Um, but I don't know. I, it just There it, was too much... I, I didn't really care for the crafting and how you had to make everything. It seemed well, too... Uh, you're going to hate this new game, then. Uh, it looks like well, they've... well, they are bringing crafting back. Now, there are some of the aspects of the crafting that I do like. You know, make your own stronghold, make your own fortress, make your own village. That looks cool. That's cool. Setting up, you know, caravans between different locations. That all looks cool. But when it starts getting into like, whoa, we have 50 base weapons and you can modify everything and have a combat like 7,000 different weapons you can make. To me, that's a bit of an information. That's too much for me. Too much overload. It's like I just want my base weapons and I can what, pick it. What choose. was the uh, What was the game? Um, Borderlands. Oh, Didn't Borderlands yeah. have that same issue. Yeah. Yeah. And again, it. I mean, I completed that game, but it, after a while, it gets it gets to me. For me, it gets to be too much because it's too much fiddly bits, too much. Uh, like, okay, well, here's my base weapon, but I can modify it about seventy-five different ways, and it's too many. Sometimes I I feel too many choices 
are too many choices. You know, it's like I like having um, a broad range of things to select from. So like, okay, I could pick this for this situation, that for that situation. I have a choices, but when you have this many choices, it, to me, it's it's too much. Because you know how I love too much resource management. You know, I you know, <laughs> but overall, it looks that, that's what you get for working in corporate America. Exactly. Um, if there's all that. If there's too much. There's too much fiddly bits. It starts to feel like work. Yeah, it does. It does. But it, but otherwise, it looks awesome. It, it looks good. Uh, you know, the setting again. You know, it's uh, looks like it's in Boston, right? Is that what uh, looks like, uh, Scott Boston? Uh, so it is all confirmed. It's all confirmed that it's Boston. Certainly, okay. they've shown enough Boston areas, and I think they've also shot down most of the bullshit uh, leaks that were lies. That, like, for instance, uh, you can only play a male character. You can only play one gender and one race. You know, was there was this presumption that you know, or this uh, these so-called leaks that came out about that. And the other BS leak was that it was going to be like five years after the nukes. And it looks like how you're getting into the future from the past is the setup is that you are you go into the vault 111 and you're cryogenically frozen. Ah, oh, my, that's, that's, that's some of my favorite subject matter is cryogenically frozen people coming into the post-apocalyptic future. Starting with Buck Rogers, because that was the original Buck Rogers story. Well, yeah. Buck Rogers gets cryogenically frozen uh, in a cave, ca in a mine collapse, and wakes up, and it's the 24th century. Um, so yeah, you you get you move forward through cryogenics, and you go looking for your you go looking for your family, um, because you their their cryogenic containers are empty. Most of the Vault 111 is supposed to be destroyed. You're the last survivor. But some of them are empty, and the question is, when did your family get out? A hundred years ago? Last week? So that's sort of the primary quest that seems to be set up. But um, yes, you can sculpt your own weapons from junk. You can build your own citadels and booby traps from junk. So that's good. Oh yeah, um, like, I like you set up, you know, guard towers with sentry. I mean, all that stuff was really cool. I, you know, it's, I mean, it's I, literally post-apocalyptic Sims. Yeah, where you know. Which is okay. I'm I'm good for that. Uh, oh but, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, totally. No, I'm not saying. I'm not saying. I'm not going to buy it. I'm buying it. <laughs> the, the Brotherhood of Steel is definitely involved in it, although they're not the good guys that they were in Fallout Three. Apparently, they're more like the neutral faction in Fallout New Vegas, where you can take them or leave them. Hmm. Um, but it is. But it looks like it's actually the. Uh, Brotherhood of it's actually the Capital Waste Brotherhood because they've got the uh, the vertebrates that they've captured from the Enclave and revamped and reinvented and building their own. Um, the, one of the things that looked really hot was the part where you could fly over the wasteland. You can look down on building roofs and you can. You, they've got jetpacks. They've got the vertebrates, so they really. Change the environment to be very. Thrilling. Oh yeah, they've they've had they've had a number of years and they've really stepped it up. Plus, they have the next gen next gen, you know, processing and graphics powers to do a, a lot more. So you know, so you better start saving your shekels, Scott, because you're gonna you're gonna have to upgrade your system to, to play it. So. Well, my question is, I've asked it before, do I go for an Xbox One 
or do I go for a PC? And part of me thinks I should go for a PC because then I can get everything on it. A PC will then have Fallout New Vegas, Fallout 3, Fallout 4, and I'll get to play with all the mods. Although, holy crap, they're now talking about you can apply mods to the console. That's dangerous shit. Yeah. Um, I, I've lost enough time to Fallout that if there were was the ability to apply mods to the to the console game, that's dangerous. That's, oh, yeah. that's a good. I'll just end up hooked up to. Uh, I'll just end up being catheterized. IV. Like an IV. You know, thousand yard stairs. Working those thumbs. That's that'll be it for me. Yeah. Well, lucky. Well, I already have an Xbox One, so I'm I'm good to go on uh, getting it there because. Uh, yeah, because because uh, you said that's coming out. Well, beside that coming out, there's so much coming out in the next six months. You know, so six months to a year, it's too much. You know, like the Fall of Vegas, you got the Mad Max game coming out. Plus, there's a couple of other games that I want to play that are not posted. You know, well, there's a uh, Rainbow Six Siege, which looks really good because I love the Rainbow Six uh, Vegas series. Dude, I, I haven't even caught up on on the last Grand Theft Auto game. Yeah, you don't need Grand Theft Auto. I haven't picked uh, up Grand Theft Auto since San Andreas, for that matter. And there's I, I haven't there's plenty of games for the 360 that I haven't finished or started. Hell, XCOM, for Christ's sakes. Well, that's what I mean. I, I'm playing a few games. Like I said, you know, Mad Max is on my queue. Fallout 4 is on my queue. Rainbow Six Siege is on my queue because I love that game. Uh, Tom Clancy's The Division, which looks kind of apocalyptic, you know, kind of micro-apocalypse. Coming out, so we got some good games coming out, uh, and also that what Bethesda did, along with to keep people interested until the game comes out, they came out with an app called Fallout Shelter. Let's see if I can get it to focus in on this. Probably how, not. How uh, are you enjoying Fallout Shelter? No, let's, let's see if I can get this to focus in here. Hold on. Probably not because it's a bright screen. Like you kind of. See it a little bit there. Fallout Shelter, it's only available right now on the uh, iOS, uh, but my understanding is it's coming out on uh, Android as well uh, down the road. So, um, oh, it's a it's 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 resource management, unfortunately, you know, but um, but it is uh, it's it's it sucks you in. It's just addictive to keep on just playing it and building your shelter and sending people out, and you could. Uh, Put you know people in, in in rooms together to see if you can get them to mate to make more people. <laughs> uh, and and what I'm doing is because uh, one of my one of the dwellers uh, dwell wasteland dwellers that came to my shelter was uh, Three Dog. So I'm doing everything in my power to make sure Three Dog is the one who's populating that vault. That he, <laughs> <laughs> I have him. I have him pairing up with every woman in that bunker to, to make more people. So he is the father of everybody. But you know what? He's the father of a new world. He is. Building a new world. And I tested to see, um, were they going to address, um, um, wow, I just drew blank here, is... Um, uh, in Fallout, hold on, I'm going to say something different so you'll... Remember what you're saying. No, 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 no. no. Um, oh, it, incest. They they address that. If you put it, I because I didn't. I don't remember who was who. 
So I would put him in the room with another female that was, and it's like, oh, I love spending time with my family. So, it, <laughs> so he won't, he won't, he won't pair up with them. I'm like, that's, that's cool. because Three Dog is fighting the good fight and has a moral center. Oh, I know, but no, it's it's like they 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 really thought about that, even in this little stupid app game. You know, they really they really addressed that, which is really cool. So, um, I keep seeing stories on Kotaku about you know crazy experiments you can do in the vault. My my question was, can you do it like an actual vault? Like, you know, can you make it like Vault uh, 34 where, you know... I haven't, I haven't over, gotten that far yet. Overstock it with weapons and, and overcrowd it and see if the population starts murdering each other. Uh, I haven't got that far yet. I'm still trying. I'm still struggling just to keep the power on. You know, with the so, somebody people, was so. somebody had, was showing screenshots where they named everyone Gary. Yeah, you could. Uh, yeah, you could change the names of people in there. It's interesting. It, it's 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 worth it's free. It's worth checking out. You know, yeah, free free is always good. Yeah, they have in in app stuff you could buy, but you don't have to waste your time with that. So, uh, so that's pretty cool. And then the other thing, the last thing I want to mention, then we'll get rolling on the questions. Is um, I mentioned I think last show that the uh, Big Finish Productions was put out season uh, two of the Survivors audio drama. Uh, I picked that up, and I'm almost through it. Again, excellent. Um, it take, it has a lot of the same... In this one, they have a lot of the same actors now, like uh, from, from the original, like, you know, Caroline Seymour. Oh, and, excellent. And, oh, yeah, uh, Amy Grant's in it, and um, uh, all the main characters. Uh, what's, what's his name? Um, who's the main guy? <sighs> oh, uh, yeah, I, I've forgotten his name, but um, he's the one whose face ends up on the money. In third season, where that one person's trying to invent a currency, and he's he's like on the bill, like he's George Washington. Yeah, you remember that? Um, no, no I, I don't remember that. But but the way, but it's cool is they did, big finishes have done a really good job with it. It has the same characters, other new characters in it, same time frames, but looking you know different little things that are going on between the the TV series. It's kind of dark. Uh, you know, uh, overtone, unlike a lot of the other big finish stuff, which is all happy and, you know, mm -hmm. but it's, but it's, again, if you guys haven't, you know, like, I'm thinking after this come out that we're going to wind up having to do, we've talked about Survivors and different, but I think we're going to just do Survivors as a show. We're going to talk about the original, I'm going to track down the uh, the remake, look at that, the audio, do the whole, I want to do talk everything about Survivors, because it's just such a very well done uh, apocalyptic setting. Um, oh, yeah. I want to get into that. So, uh, again, Big Finish Productions has that available. So, all right, that's all I have. Unless you have something to add, Scott, I want to go ahead no, and start No, no, I, I wanted to ask, did, did uh, Fallout's um, trailer drop on your birthday? Because uh, I, I, Mr. Mayor of, the, of, of Barter Town, did, did it actually drop on your birthday? Uh, when did it drop? My birthday was on Tuesday, the 2nd. Um... I can't. Uh, it may have dropped because I, I think they started the countdown on your birthday. Um, I'll tell you in a second here. Let me look at the posts on the page. Um, oh, and by the way, that deluxe edition that comes with a with a pip board that you could run off your iPhone, uh, your uh, your your uh, smartphone. Yeah. Yeah, that's crazy as shit. Uh, where the frack is it? Don't ask me, man. I'm, I'm, I'm scrolling, I'm scrolling, because we posted a lot of shit about it. Uh, no, June 3rd. 
Okay. The, countdown, the countdown started uh, June second on on my birthday, and then it, it announced that on the counts. Uh, screw it, that counts. I'm I say that counts. You were you were it was your birthday, and for your birthday you got a countdown clock. I did, and then uh, oh, did you see that? Did you see that cool post I made about the this guy's uh a blog post about the history of post post apocalyptic RPGs? No, I didn't see that. You didn't see that post? I posted that on the 9th. Uh, this guy has a blog called um, Age of Ravens, and he's done, like, uh, there's, like, nine parts to it. He does, like, a history of post-apocalyptic role-playing games. And there's a lot of cool stuff on there that I even wasn't aware of. So, it's a, Yeah, so it's, it's a good read. I posted, I posted it on the 9th, so you could uh, check it out. Okay, okay, folks. All right, so uh, that's what the last time we had Frank on, our sin was that we talked too much and didn't let Frank talk enough, and we are continuing that same sin. So we need to. Oh, no, 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 we haven't started yet. So what, oh, what, okay. We we, we, we 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 got rid of our uh, you know in the news blah blah blah. Out of the way. way. Now out that's way. out of the way. Now starts the meat of the show, and Frank's our meat today. So. You are the meat. You are the meat and the Jared and Scott sandwich. That's disgusting. But mm. <laughs> that'll God. Uh, That'll make you comfortable. Oh, you, you, won't, you, won't, you won't sleep for a week. <laughs> well, that's a good quote to start the, start the day off with. Hey, what the hell? Uh, all right, so um, I'm going to start not necessarily in the order that they were posted, uh, but certainly in the order that I, I peeled them off the interwebs. And one of the questions came from someone from uh, titled Krista from Finland, who... Which is interesting because the only people that I'm aware of who did Twilight 2000 uh, scenarios or, or, or published Twilight 2000 material outside the United States were the Finns. There were some actual Finnish, like the Baltic source book or something. And, yeah. Um, yeah. They're the only guys that I know of who, who, who did any Twilight 2000. Um, so uh, Christopher Finland asks... Do you know who the current owner of the IP for Twilight 2000 is? And are you aware of whether any official novels or stories based on the Twilight 2000 world have ever been published? Well, I'd probably have to say that the uh, current owner of the IP is probably Far Future Enterprises. Mark Miller's outfit. They just travel five people. Mm-hmm. Um, and as far as the rest of it goes, um, no, I was I was not aware of that. I don't think there have been any that I know of. Um, certainly, there's a, a lot of interesting background. I, I'm not aware of any either, Mr. Wallace. Do you know of any uh, official um, uh, stories or novels set in the Twilight 2000 universe? Um, uh, not, not that I'm aware of. I haven't I haven't heard of anything myself. I, I gotta admit that I I wrote uh, a few chapters of a twelve thousand novel when I was in college in 1985 or six or something, which was completely ripping off uh, Lone Star. Uh, was it uh, Lone Star White Star? Is that the Red Star, Red Star Lone Star? The Texas scenario. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. I completely ripped that off because I had no original thoughts. Still don't have many, but uh, apart from my fanfic, I am not aware of any. 
I think that's probably Scott where you're going to find it is people did a lot of fanfic, uh, which is which is really great as far as I'm concerned. I uh, have seen some examples of it online. It's kind of it's pretty nifty. Yeah. Um, there are a number of websites I think that that that, that may include uh, uh, that are either set up to be fanfic sites, but I don't know how much traffic or how much. Yeah. Oh, by the way, as far as the foreign stuff goes, one of the regular posters on some of the Twilight Two Thousand forums is a a guy. I believe he's either Swedish or Finnish. Goes by the handle of Antenna. Yes, you're right. I want to say he's Swedish. Yeah, I believe he is because. I have a friend of mine who spent some time living in Sweden, and she's also a gamer. And she told me, she said, Frank, do you know that you've actually got a fan club in Gothenburg, Goat Sweden? <laughs> I'm like, what? Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. No, that's cool. Well, that's the weird thing is that um, there's the guy, uh, there, there's a tennis site, a tennis page uh, for 20,000. There's the Finnish actual published license to Twilight 2000 products, and then there's a fella who uh, uh, the the uh, the the Julin forum, the forum Julin yes. that has. Yeah. Um, there's a guy named Alf Bergesen uh, who publishes enorm enormous amounts of stuff on Twilight 2000. He's a huge collector. He's also I'm with a name like Alf Bergesen. I suspect he might be from Scandinavia, which makes me wonder. Uh, what is it about Scandinavia that they liked Twilight 2000 better than most Europeans? I think part of it uh, is that it appeals. Twilight 2000 appeals almost, if you will, to almost the Viking in you because it's very much that kind of world. The characters are very much the, you know, you go out and if you're not trading, you're raiding, you know. And the Vikings did that. The Vikings traded as much, if not more, than they actually raided, especially if they went up against somebody else that they knew could kick their butts. They yeah. would just go, let's let's talk about this instead. Yes, you always break out the trade goods when you realize they'll kick your ass. Yeah, so like, it, let's be reasonable. <laughs> yes, but uh, I don't know. It's very interesting because one of my favorite science fantasy games is Fading Suns, which is... I don't know how popular it is here in America, but boy, it was really popular in Germany. And I suspect that maybe the same reason Twilight's popular in, in Scandinavia. It has an epic feel to it. Certainly, um, uh, the only other person I've, I've ever heard of, uh, big Europe, uh, was a European player, as I remember hearing somebody talking about how they were in Italy in the 80s. And so when they played Twilight 2000, they were playing Italian... Warsaw Pack troops fighting against the, you know, imperialist Western, you know, running dog capitalists is how they played their twice. Sounds like sounds like they were probably communists from northern Italy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh my god. Uh, <laughs> uh, so I, I I've always wanted to know, you know, how other countries, you know, uh, view the game, but it's you know, because um, again, apocalypse has always looked more yeah. interesting when it's from somebody else's point of view. Yeah, that, that yeah, it is. And as far as the, as far as novels or anything else goes, based on that, if you want to do it officially, you're probably going to have to get a hold of uh, Mark Miller and Company at Far Future Enterprises and go, "Hey, can I can I use this?" Yeah. Uh, more importantly, here's my completed manuscript. Please yes. Read it. You know, and if you if you like it, can I? 
can I, would you be interested in publishing it or can I give you a kickback? You know, you'll yeah. have to come, there'll have to be some sort of financial arrangement. And something else we didn't do and we, done, we jumped in because we assumed that everybody knows who Frank Fry is. Frank Fry, long-time uh, uh, writer for game, uh, 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 role-playing game industry, wrote a number of uh, really classic works for the Twilight 2000 line. And the next question is about sort of the scenario that I think made your bones as far as everyone going, holy shit, this guy can write. Uh, it's about the Black Madonna. Mm -hmm. uh, William Barrio asks that they have a question about the Black Madonna. Uh, in the adventure, the Black Madonna, just how hard was the horror supernatural beats supposed to be in the story? Uh, the first part of the adventure is very straightforward, forced 10 from Navarone stuff. But the second half read and played out like a horror movie. Uh, how intentional was that? And how much did you emphasize, I guess, the supernatural aspects as when you, when you play tested it? Uh, first of all, that's really a very nice question. Why? Because somebody was playing it the way it was meant to be played. Uh, when you go into the catacombs under the uh, Yasnagora, the monastery. It's supposed to be scary as hell. I, I, I always think of Indiana Jones meets Hammer Horror. Now, of course, there's a rational explanation for the whole thing, eventually. But I really wanted to do that. I wanted to add that sense of the supernatural or the, the weirdness because you're really talking about a world that is now shattered. Things have just gone to pieces. It's a medieval world, and yeah. medieval, medieval beliefs can come back into play. Yes, it's very. It's actually a very medieval world. Um, and uh, but I wanted, you know, I wanted to add that. I wanted to give them that sense of, of scariness. I think, if I can remember offhand, I believe when they. Uh, Cross that running stream underground. I when you want them thought about mentioned the river Styx, you know, which is the river you cross in the I believe it's Greek mythology to yeah. get to the underworld. And I wanted that kind of terror, you know. Well, I, I got to tell you, the whole that was one of my the, the river underwater or the under sorry the underground river is definitely one of the scariest parts. Uh, having been having gone caving and seen water underground moving, it's, yeah, it's intimidating um, because it's as if, it, you know, you have no idea how deep it's going to go, if your next step's going to be a 10-foot drop-off, you know. So my players having to cross that river, they hated that. That was Good. their, they hated that, and they especially hated it when that douchebag started shooting them with the crossbow bolts while they're, you know, suddenly they're attacked by a medieval weapon underground, you know, while crossing a black river. You know, yeah, they didn't like that. They were unhappy with that. Yeah, I'm actually surprised that and I didn't think of it at the time, but I would have probably also made references to D and D. Yes. Dungeon crawl. Uh, what is wait a minute, I didn't know we were gonna do a dungeon crawl in real life. <laughs> it's amazing the stuff that you can put in there. I always like to talk about I believe I've talked about it before. The infamous uh uh, message that uh, the guys that are reconning the east coast of America for a landing, they run across a uh, abandoned convenience store and scrawled on the wall is the famous quote, that which is not dead cannot die. Yeah, and they're like, 
what? And then in, you know, Cthulhu Fataga and Cthulhu, they're like, well, I guess we now know who started the war. <laughs> of course, what they didn't find was the body of the college student that had been working there who got killed there, and in his backpack was the Call of Cthulhu game with all his notes. Uh, did, was that something you threw at your players once upon a time? Yeah. Yeah, the um, uh, I, I, a number of keepers, this is just my own question, a number of keepers used to run scenarios for Twilight 2000 set before the summer of 2000, uh, where they they do stuff where you were deep in World War Three. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and and then you know you play special force missions. You you'd give the players an opportunity to see uh, what it was like with the lights still on, and then you take the lights away, and then it was like you know having played in the world before it was fucked. Yeah. And then playing in the world after the satellite radio sets are down, and you know. Nobody's heard from Washington, or Washington's abandoned, or whatever. Uh, that that I know a number of keepers that, that that I did not. Did you do that? It sounds like if you've got what Spetsnaz swimming ashore in the United States to scout for an invasion. Oh site. no, no, this this was not Spetsnaz. These were actually units from CENTCOM. CENTCOM was coming home. Oh yes, because you played out not just because you wrote. The I, yeah. uh, the rapid deployment force source book, and then there was this yeah. whole campaign thing about the RDF getting home via uh, Kenya yeah. and finally Something around like the Horn of Africa. Africa. Yeah. What? Um, anyway, to answer your question, yes, I did. I ran a whole campaign called um, Black Horse Forward, mm -hmm. and it was a uh, platoon from the 11th Armored Cavalry Regiment with uh, uh, an anti-aircraft vehicle attached to them, kind of like okay. Uh, they were from a uh, hotel battery. I forget the, the actual AADs. What it was was they had the Bradley with the 20-millimeter Gatling cannon and the air defense radar on it. Yeah. Just for the, and they wind up taking a wrong turn during a snowstorm. And they wind up on the Czech border. And uh, there were some clues, like the, some, one, one of the people they talked with was an old German who said, oh, you don't understand. They didn't retreat. They withdrew in good order. Fortunately, I had some guys that were savvy enough who had actually been in the military to understand what that meant. Yeah. Yes. And boy, did they get. And the beautiful part about that whole session was people so got into it that that tabletop talk, there wasn't any except for uh, 2 1 to 2 0, 2 0 go. Roger, I have five. Tango seven twos, approximately one thousand meters from my position. Oh, that's that's hilarious! If you can get them to talk the talk. Yeah, you they talk the, the talk. Game, they they they're now talking the, the the jargon. They're inside the jargon. Yeah, and they were an armored cap platoon, an old style armored cap platoon. Mm -hmm. They had Bradleys. They also had a sext of three M1 Abrams, because that's yeah, the old uh, cap platoon. My players started off. My players pulled all their points at the beginning of the game and got themselves an M1 Abrams, and it just proceeded to break all the time. There, it turned out to be the worst decision they ever made. Was we should have the best tank in the game, and then it turned out to be a maintenance hog. And I think they eventually ended up stuffing a white phosphorus grenade in the barrel and abandoning it because it was just an anchor around their necks. I can't even imagine trying to drag three Abrams around in that game system. Well, wait, let's let's move on to our next question here, because sure. uh, Mr. Bargo also asks, uh, and it's one of the things that I'm, I think everybody who <clears throat> was a, a war nerd 
<coughs> who enjoyed the technical side of Twilight 2000. Uh, this is a big question for us. Uh, writing for Twilight 2000 and GDW in general was full of military technical data. In this age, in the 1980s, in the age uh, before the internet, his question is, what sources, other than, say, Jane's Defense Weekly, did you use uh, to, to develop? Because you did the vehicle guides and the weapons guides. You did the NATO vehicle guide, yep. uh, the heavy weapons guide. Uh, you know, um, did you, what, what sources did you use? Well, first, uh, to, well, I was going to say, well, first of all, for the RDF source book, I was very lucky. I lived in Tampa at McDill Air Force Base is the headquarters of, well, it's now U.S. Central Command. Back then it was JRDF, Joint Rapid Deployment Force. And I had a friend of mine that worked there. So I, as he got me in, they loaned me the latest copy of Jane's Armored Vehicles, uh, and I was on their mailing list, so I got other kinds of information. If you go to a lot of arms manufacturers, you know, and you write them, uh, or you just know where to get your information from. There used to be a, um, a magazine published called Miltech, and uh, that thing was just loaded with information um, for the, um, uh, let's say, for the like the NATO source book, for the um, a lot of say, for example, for the British. I had the old SPI game, Army of the Rhine. So I had a full order of battle that I could work from. Yes, I remember Army of the Rhine. Um, yeah. And um, it wasn't, you know, you, you kept, I kept up with it as much as I could, but I also did a little bit of cheating, figuring, okay, this is in the future. So who knows, you know. But, um, but, still, but still, you were able to get a lot of, Specific information before the day, like they said, before the technology age, about this stuff, and we wondered, like, oh, the Ru people, the Russians, the enemies, the China are stealing our ideas. Well, it's out there, you know. Yeah. Yes, it is. Uh, one of the ironic things was that Miltech, I couldn't get it anymore because somebody in the U.S. government pulled it would would buy the entire incoming shipments and storm in a warehouse because they didn't want civilians getting this information. <laughs> Well, the aggravating thing was, this was available throughout all of Europe, and all you had, if you were from the Soviet embassy, and you know, you just walked into the magazine store and bought the damn thing. So, so it was pulled off of American shelves, but it wasn't yeah. pulled off of European shelves. No, because it was a European uh, publication. Ah, uh, the national security apparatus looking out for our best interests again. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> God, it was, it was hilarious, but. Uh, Mel, uh, I think it was yeah, I think it was Meltech. God, I'm gonna have to go back and see if I still have any of it left. I got a lot of it. Uh, one of my good friends was who unfortunately passed away in 1999. Was the wing historian down at McDill Air Force Base, so he got me a lot of information. Excellent. Uh, so I just I grabbed whatever sources I could get my hands on, mm. and and used it. I had a I had a sort of a similar experience. My first the, the first draft of Delta Green in 1996. We didn't have the online data, so I was down in the uh, at Gainesville, where you are. I was down at the university's library in their government document section, looking up budgets in the congressional you know yeah. budget. You know how many men work for the uh, 
you know, Intelligence Security Command of the U.S. Army. Well, there it is in the congressional documents. That's the only place to find it. And it was it was in big, giant, you know, rolling uh, document yep. uh, shelves that you had to turn the giant wheel, you know, to yeah. move the shelves. Remember that nonsense? Yeah, I used to work in GovDocs up at the University of South Florida. Yeah. All right. And you know exactly what I'm oh, talking yeah. about. Oh, yeah. Um, all right. Stephanie uh, McKaylee asks or says, hi, Frank. Uh, were you aware of any future titles or works uh, specifically uh, being planned just before GDW folded? Mm. Um, and that's the first question. The follow-on is, uh, if they had kept going, if they had stuck with uh, the Twilight 2000 rather than, say, Merck or, or folded the company, was there something that you really wanted to see published that, that either you or somebody else you knew was working on? And before 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 you answer that, Frank, I just want to do. Uh, we had one uh, somebody message uh, Colin, you know, one of our uh, fans who's on our last show. Yes, uh, yes. Agree, yeah, agree. He had some of the best material for uh, for uh, uh, Fury Road. Oh yeah, he um, he agrees with what Frank says about Tampa. He says uh, I agree that Tampa was awash with military info in the '80s. I lived there. My father worked for as a defense contractor, so there were always copies of Jane's Defense Weekly. And international def uh, defense reviews sitting around. Yep. So, they, so, so, so somebody to corroborate what Frank was yeah. uh, already saying. Yeah. As as far as future projects, I remember. I believe it was in the 2.2 edition of Twilight 2000, which is probably my favorite. Mm -hmm. um, they had what they called a GPS survey in the back, and apparently they had all these different ideas. Natural disaster, uh, you know, armor was it armor twenty fifty or something like that? Yeah, yeah, I remember that. That was a that was an advertisement I saw once or twice. Yeah, and so I think they had those ideas in mind, but I think events just overtook them. Plus the fact that by the time you're looking at the mid nineties, the timeline we had for Twilight two thousand was pretty well tattered by current events. I mean, it was just, so I was the you know, I was one of the guys who were going, make this an alternate history, and, and we're good. Yes. Make this an alternate history, we're good. What that guy said, the guy with the, the, the bald head and the beard, that guy, you know, uh, you don't, it doesn't have to be future projection, it just is, this is what happened if it hadn't been for Gorbachev. If we hadn't yeah. wound it down, this is how it ends badly. Actually, I think a more realistic, uh, if you want to go that route, uh, approach was actually Merck 2000, which was one of my very favorites. Well, there's a couple of things that have turned up in Merck 2000 where I'm like, oh, yeah, that's kind of accurate, except for the whole fragmented China thing. Um, yeah, well, have you been reading lately about Chinese economy? Well, you know, they're the last, they're the last empire. I mean, the Russians have... Mostly, yes, but, here, but here's the deal. Yeah, it's only the coastal provinces that are wealthy that are making money. You go into the interior, they're dirt poor and they're not at all happy about it. Yeah, well, just wait and just check out one of those maps that shows rising sea levels. All those guys living in the interior are going to be laughing out the other side of their faces when all those rich people on the coast are doing the dog paddle up the Yangtze River. You know, um, there is that. Yeah. You know, 
The guys in Xinjiang will be just like, oh, yeah, you want to rent an apartment? That'll be a billion yuan. Thank you very yeah. much. <laughs> but, no, uh, the Merc 2000 stuff I thought was interesting because it really, in a way, almost forecasts the private security contractors of today. Yeah. Yes. And, uh, it, was a, it was a little ahead of the curve on that. Yeah. And uh, I thought that because, to be quite honest, when people, you know, I, I always, you know, in terms of war and stuff like that, World War II was, in my opinion, the last truly industrialized war that we may be, we may see. Yeah. Because you won't see another war like that. Well, do you think you're going to see wars where, an I mean, a war where an entire nation pits its entire industrial social output into a war? There could still be small countries. That, oh, yeah. I mean, a regional war. Uh, but, you know, I mean, did Serbia put their put 100% into the Balkans, you know, uh, even though it But what I'm saying is, is you're not going to see things where you have, you know, t you know two American army groups driving up through southern France, you know, where you're not going to see battles like uh, Prokhorovka. No, you're cursed. You're you're not going to see that anymore. Although, by the way, this the, the uh, Russian uh, Western Plains out there is great tank country. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I and I was very pleased to see that the um, speaking of American troops in Poland, and we'll get to that in a minute as far as twenty thousand goes. But I was very pleased to see that NATO has apparently pushed forward a plan to start rebasing um, all those depots full of gear. Yep. Used to be in Germany. They're moving them out of Germany and putting them in Poland. The Poles are like, thank you. I mean, it's about time. Um, you know, they don't want to be a speed bump for the for the Russians. Uh, and it's still a possibility. You know, just ask the Ukrainians. Yep. Just ask the Georgians. So, basing that stuff forward, good move, NATO. It's about time. Um, was there anything that was a project that, I mean, you had the campaign for the R getting the RDF home. Would yeah. you have wanted? Would, were you pitching that to GDW as a? I was. I was starting to, but the Twilight 2000 uh, started to kind of fold. One of the most popular ones that I was getting ready to pitch was something I called the Lions of Twilight. Okay. 173rd Airborne Brigade in Kenya, and I was ready to do that. Because uh, they're there, they're in Kenya at the behest of the Kenyan government. But guess who's footing the bill? The French. And this is yep. shown by the fact that when they get new fatigue issue, it's uh, the French lizard pattern, which is yep. of course the standard gear of mercenaries the world over. Sort of. It was the French France's way of reminding them. Who's paying, who's paying the bills? Who's paying the bills? Yes, you have all this equipment. Yes, you have all this stuff. But guess what? We're the, we're the people that are paying the bills. And I reconstituted the 173rd, which, I under, you know, which has been reconstituted in real life. Mm -hmm. But I added a couple of interesting things. I added uh, 509th Parachute Infantry Battalion. And... Uh, well, that was I, one of the things that you're right. That was one of the things I didn't realize that until you just said that there, in Twilight 2000, as far as the Western powers go, there's a yeah. lot of units. We didn't, when they wrote canon, they didn't really go beyond units that were in existence 
before the war. They didn't. They didn't hypothesize units that would be created during the war. New yeah, formations. Well, right. Well, one of them that one, the other battalion I came up with to put in the 173rd was 555th Parachute Infantry Battalion, the first all-black parachute battalion. They were formed in World War II, but they never saw combat. Instead, they pioneered this little-known technique called smoke jumping. They were the first smoke jumpers. Were uh, uh, African American paratroopers from the 555th. Did they do smoke jumping in the what? The 40s or the 50s? The 40s. The 40s. They, they wouldn't let them serve overseas. Yet remember, no. this was a white man, and, and a lot of the um, senior officers in the U.S. Army were white Southerners. Yeah, well, it's it. it, it we don't get integration until Korea. I told President Truman said, "Hey, guess what, guys?" Yeah. But anyway. Uh, so you were, you were working on Lions of Twilight, which was a Kenyan-based campaign? Yeah. Did, 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 back then, oh, what was the, let me ask, because I'm curious, when I think Kenya, uh, the, the guy who I always think of is, well, I mean, there's, Amin is, a, is all over with by the 2000s. He yeah. is retired and he's gone. But the, the main troublemaker as far back as the 80s is good old Joseph Coney. And the crazy oh, yeah. Lord's Resistance Army. My question yeah, is, was he involved in the story at all? Did you? Yeah, have any? he was. Yeah, he was over in Uganda. Mm -hmm. Became a maximum warlord. Attracted the attention of um, uh, the French and their American allies, who calmly proceeded to go across the border and stomp the living crap out of him. Well, that's what happens when you line up in straight lines in front of a first world army. Yeah, that's that's generally what happens too when you you think that, um, well, I'm you know I'm God, I'm God's servant here on earth, I'm invincible. That lasts about as long as, you know, until you happen to catch or until you happen to catch a few rounds from a fifty caliber, then you're so suddenly very invincible. So Coney fe featured. Who was the main antagonists for the uh, for the Kenyan scenario? Oh God, oh Para. P-A-R-A, Pan-African Revolutionary Army. Okay, so something like a, a descendant of, of SWAPO or some of these other yeah. revolutionary groups yeah, like the, from Angola. Of course, and, by, of course uh, at that time, very few of us realized the extent of Islamic fundamentalism. So, yeah. Although I did actually have an outfit called Jonadullah. It was one of the terrorist outfits, Soldiers of God. Yeah. So. Yeah, that was uh, the uh, – I'll, I'll come back to the uh, – Islamist thing in a second, but I want to make sure we get we hit everybody else's questions. Um, let's see here. Uh, Jared, you wanted, Jared, you wanted to ask one. Jared, yeah, yeah I, had, I had a couple of new questions uh, come up, so I wanted to get those. Uh, fire off the new questions. Fire off the new I questions. I wanted to get those fielded. Um, one was just a, a quick question from Paul Smith. He just want, uh, he wanted to know, Frank, uh, what was the name of the scenario in the Middle East to recover the USSR? Stealth VPOL fighter. Called MIG Mountain. MIG Mountain. All right. Was that ever published? Because I, I don't know that I've ever seen it. No. No, this is when I ran at our test group. Ah. Um, that it was, it was called MIG Mountain. In fact, it was inspired by, I believe it was a, a tester's plastic kit of something like the MIG-37 Ferret Stealth Fire. Oh. Stealth fighter. Oh, some some hypothetical yeah artist drawings uh, airplane model. 
Yeah. Okay. But God, that was fun. Um, and uh, but we got another one, Jared. Yep, we got another one here. Uh, this one, and we got a bunch of questions for him, and uh, Scott will uh, get those. Uh, I'll get back to him. Let's let's hear about no, the. No, no, no. Okay, no, it's it's from uh, Matt Weiser, uh, who asked several questions, and apparently, yeah. and apparently he thinks Fallout is crap. Uh, by the way, uh, so uh, that's again, possibly possibly another communist child molester. He must be, you know, because he, he asks us to stop talking about uh, uh, Fallout and get on to twelve hundred thousand. <laughs> and, and and again, like I always tell everybody, you know what? Tough shit. You know, we're going to talk about what we're going to talk about, but now we're talking about we got to it. I it's it's going to be tough to hate Matt because he clearly loves Twilight Two Thousand, which puts oh no on, no I'm not saying that puts at him all, on the side of the angels, but then he hates Fallout, which puts him on the side of Satan. So I'm not sure where Matt falls in there. Uh, <laughs> well, we'll, we'll, we'll we'll give we'll forgive him for this one indiscretion. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll give him some leeway here. Uh, but he did ask a new a new question, uh, which was re when we started the show was uh, Matt asked um, the naval war. Many of the Twilight two thousand uh, Twilight two thousand boards uh, have not uh, bought the wholesale eradication of the U.S. Navy and other navies. Uh, there would have been a lot more surviving naval assets, submarines especially, and maybe even two or three CVNs. Having more SSNs and missile subs surviving and at sea is a lot more realistic. Would you change that if you would? Uh, would you change that if you had a chance? Uh, I think so because if you look at the RDF Shortsbook, for example, they've got a hell of a fleet right there in the Persian Gulf. You know, the, they are survivors. A, a, a fleet, a, a place that's not conducive to the survival of surface ships. Yeah. Um, now the thing is, when they go after, when they went after them, at least in our initial one in the 1980s, remember I I used to play Harpoon, mm -hmm. and uh, so so, so, so did Annapolis. I understand Harpoon made yeah. it to Annapolis. As oh a yeah, but the thing about it, the thing about it is, no ship was invulnerable. As a matter of fact, you looked at a lot of those weapons. You go through the Harpoon data annex. Those are, you know, you got a lot of ship killer weapons. And remember, in Twilight 2000, the war started, we were projecting technology from, that, from you know, the 1980s. And we're like, what kind of defense systems have you got? You know, and I can sit there and I can say, you know, from a little two-bit destroyer, go, uh, with, eight, with eight harpoon missiles, fire, and you salvo eight harpoon missiles at the Soviets. I think, though, that there would be some fleet, some some remnants. Uh, it's just that Twilight 2000 was essentially a land, uh, yeah. if you will, land-based. It was all it was land-based. Um, hell, I could see us. Well, we did. There was the last submarine. Great campaign, but the sub essentially is just like a chariot that takes the players to different places yep. to have adventures. Yeah, that's basically what it is. Uh, I imagine though you could do a really good uh, the last ship, yeah, style, cool. which is a good. By the way, guys, good series action adventure. Um, it's got a little, it's got a little whiff of the BS, but that's okay. We can deal with this. Uh, it, I was gonna say that um, uh, you know, th not every ship needs to be sunk to be out of action, and that oh, no. some of it 
may just be a matter of maintenance. Yeah, of, of yeah. badly mangled ships going back to their harbors and going, oh, look, Norfolk is nuked, Murmansk is nuked, and they never are able to repair them sufficiently to get them into into battle. And then well, the, the, not, not just repairs, but just regular maintenance, uh, inventory of supplies. Yep. Once yep. All that, unless you got unless you got a way to, to restock and resupply, it basically just becomes a, a big floating hotel that you just pull up to the pull up to the dock, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Plus, with the nukes, you have this thing of with the nuke boats. You also have this idea. You also have this thing where you have to change out the reactor cores. Was it like every six or seven years, something yeah. like that? Yeah. Now, in mine uh, for uh, Twilight Tooth, uh, the RDF search book, uh, the uh, ship that the sub that was there, which I think was the USS Jacksonville, mm -hmm. uh, had just had its core swapped out, so it was good to go. Um, but uh, yeah, no. A lot of the a lot of the U.S. and Russian nuke fleet are going to be su suffering from reactor. You know, they need maintenance. They need this. They need that. And I'll give you an example. When you talk about damaged ships, study how badly the German ships at Jutland were beat up. They cruised home, but it took them a year at least, before some of those battleships and battle cruisers could get back into action. They were that badly damaged. Yeah, and Kiel had not suffered an air burst of 1.5 nope. megatons. You <laughs> You're know? right, yeah. So, yeah, I, now, if you want to go ahead and do something, and I say this to uh, Matt, um, that would be fine. But I'd also like to caution that, you know, when you really think about it, a Nimitz-class aircraft carrier is an awfully inviting target. In, so, a world that's, in a world that's running out of juicy targets. Yeah, not only that, but what happens when you run out of aviation fuel? What do you do then? <laughs> uh, then it's just a big sun deck. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, when you're out of aviation gas, that's good. What do you do with your aircraft carrier? Oops. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, uh, but that, that, uh, that's a good one. Uh, what else you got, Mr. Wallace? Uh, no, that, those are just the two questions I had. And uh, again, Colin made a comment because uh, we we're talking about naval ships. Was uh, capital ships? Uh, I'm not familiar with that term. Capital ships? That's like a that's like a a, a, a full size battleship like the I. Oh, okay. Uh, he said that capital ships surviving Soviet naval cruise missiles in the 80s is not believable unless they hit. Uh, is that do you think that's true? True statement or not? Uh, you mean um, that they that they were incapable of surviving a hit from Soviet uh, aviation, or, it, or uh... it depends on which ones you're talking about. Because we actually ran a simulation where the uh, Soviet battlecruiser Kirov wound up taking on uh, the USS uh, Missouri off the oh. coast of coast of Alaska. That's bad news for the Kirov. That thing was from the what? The 50s or something? It was not. I mean, the, the Missouri was World War Two. Yeah, nine, but nine 16-inch guns. No waiting. Uh, the Missouri hurled the, the Missouri hurled out a salvo of nine 16-inch shells, six of which hit the Kirov. That was the end of the Kirov. That was yeah. it, because one of them landed right in that forward missile. You know where all the forward missile silos are. Yeah, they they uh, yeah, Soviet uh, submarine assets plus Soviet you know naval aviation assets 
all those backfires loaded up. Yeah, that would not do um, capital ships any favors. Well, let me give you an example from the real world. One of the biggest fears during the Falklands War the Argentinians had was from that cruiser. Yeah. Or rather the British had was from that cruiser because none of their damn missiles could penetrate that armor. Even The, Bel the Belgrano? The you Belgrano, mean, yeah. Because that was an old Brooklyn-class American light cruiser, but that damn thing was heavily armored by today's standards. Oh, it was the Phoenix. It was the Phoenix. It was the lucky Phoenix. Uh, whatever they called it, whatever the but it was a Brooklyn class light cruiser. Well, I mean, it was the Lucky Phoenix. It was one of those ships that yeah. like got underway yeah. at Pearl Harbor and didn't get hit by the Japanese. And, Something yeah. like that, yeah. But it also too just the weight of broadsides carried. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, you're talking about a ship that carried. Holy crap! I think some like one, two, three, four, fifteen six-inch guns. A single broadside. Now imagine that tearing into one of those British frigates, which are basically lightly, you know, it's oh, aluminum. It's the aluminum hull, yeah. So, you know, didn't the British didn't the British already make that mistake at Jutland with the lightly armored ships that were going to? wrong with our bloody ships today. Yeah, love it. Okay, um, uh, look, I'm, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna move on to Alf Bergenson's question. It's Raelius from the forum, uh, Julin, the uh, the twelfth. I think I, I think I've seen some of his stuff. Yep, uh, Raelius uh, or Alf writes. Um, were there some materials that you and the other twenty two thousand writers and developers were working on when the decision was made to end the line? Are there any unpublished materials out there? Well, certainly Mig Mountain sounds like sounds great, and Lions of Twilight. Um, and is there any chance that it will be made available to the small, passionate Twilight 2000 community? For instance, Frank, would you ever consider hosting Mid Mountain to that website, to the to the old to the Twilight 2000 forum, uh, or to the Facebook pitch, just as a file? I might just do that. There's obviously <laughs> interest in it. Um, there now, one of, now, now one of the things I used for the adventure was I believe it was which Keith it was the Keith brother that passed away I want to say William H Keith they did a series of booklets for traveler like the underwater environment the mountain environment I used the mountain environment and they part of that adventure was just getting your ass up that mountain yeah yeah um, I was gonna say as far as unpublished stuff goes I ended up getting a hold of a bunch of material from Tom Mulkey uh, who was also a Tampa or a yep. Tampa Bay Tampa Bay resident, and Mulkey had stuff for the last university, which was about a, a, a cantonment built around University of Florida in Gainesville, and he had something called Warriors of the Everglades that yep. he was working on, um, that was going to be about the, the cantonment around Miami. Uh, and the uh, uh, and the Seminole Indian nation down there, and also he had material for Cedar for, for Key West for the Naval Air Station. Yeah. In the Keys. Yeah, well. I know. I uh, I was good friends with Tom. Yep. Another been, person who who's unfortunately passed on. Yeah, he's been gone a while, uh, and uh, uh, he. As a matter of fact, I was one that got him interested in writing for Twilight. So good, good. He produced really good stuff. His material he did, on he did on that. 
his his uh, New America stuff was great. Made New America look interesting and different. Um, which there's a New America question in here somewhere. Let me see what else. Jared, do you have another write-in question? No, that's all I got for now. All right. Um, okay. So, so uh, there is another question here about uh, orders of battle and things like that. It's from. It's also from Alf. It's sort of uh, related to the first question about where you did your research. And uh, his question is, how did you, uh, how did uh, game designers and module writers uh, research things about stuff on the other side of the Iron Curtain? Like, uh, was, there, uh, was there material available through those military publishers that helped you get a grip on foreign armies and foreign orders of battle and foreign capacities? Yeah, there was. Um, there are a number of things. You know, believe it or not, uh, the old SPI publication, Strategy and Tactics, had some great stuff in there about things like the French Army, you know, this this army and that army. Uh, if you dug deep enough in different publications, you could find things. Now, how accurate it was, you paid your money, it took your chances, <laughs> especially with the Warsaw Pact stuff. One thing that shows up in Warsaw Pact stuff that I thought was hilarious that I... I, I you know, like a piece of twilight archaeology was. One of the things they mention is that there's an air during the invasion of Alaska. There's a Soviet paratrooper unit used to seize parts of Alaska, and I think it's described as the Sixth Guards Air Assault Division. I think is what it is. Yeah. And they're supposedly stationed in the far east, in the far east Soviet theater of war. Yep, far eastern military district. Yeah, uh, TVD, and apparently. After the Soviet Union fell, it turned out that the people who did their research and discovered that the Russians had listed in their orders of battle a, a guards air assault division, that it only existed on paper. That it, was, that it was just a, it was a mythical, I mean, of course the Russians let you know it existed. It didn't exist. Yeah. It was part of Soviet disinformation. Uh, yeah, that's, um, that's sometimes what I use as well. Uh, I have a complete order of battle for the U.S. 9th Airborne Division from World War II. Yeah. Which never existed. It was actually a Phantom Division. 17th Armored Division. You know, I like playing around with that because you can do interesting stuff with that. Uh, but besides, they actually have a divisional patch, by the way, for the 9th Airborne. Mm. It's great. It's really a cool-looking patch, too. Oh, Google even better. Sometime. What do you got, Jared? What? No, I'm saying let's uh, move on to the next question. I have a couple, but which, let's get some of the, uh, the uh, Matt ones out of the way. Is, Matt Weiser is back uh, with another question. Jason Weiser. Jason? Yeah. Jason Weiser. All right, not Matt. Jason Weiser. And yes. there's no relation from what I think. Yeah. What I uh, Frank, is there anything you wish you had been covered in greater detail in the Twilight 2000 line? Uh, is there anywhere you thought that deserved an adventure source book treatment and just didn't get it. Oh, God. Where do, all right, first of all, let me just answer this, because I know there's reading the, reading the questions that you were kind enough to send me. The one thing I would really like to, if I could add anything and put into Twilight 2000, sanity. Yes. Yeah. Sanity. Mental, as, uh, mental, mental hit points. Yeah, as a... Vietnam veteran who has suffered from PTSD 
st I still do to a degree. Um, it's not so bad now, but there were times, you know. There's something that I learned, and I learned about myself, I'll be quite honest with you. I had it all planned out. I was going to spend three years as an enlisted man, including the tour in Nam, get out, go to college on the GI Bill, go through ROTC, and go back in as an officer. By the time my 12 months in Nam were up, I'd had enough. I just couldn't do it anymore. I just, it's just, I can't do this. You know, you reach a wall. You reach a wall. You saw it in Band of Brothers. Lieutenant Compton, you know, I think it was during the Battle of Haga. He just drops his helmet in the snow. That's it. You see, the suddenly the eyes just—he's reached it. He's reached that point. And the worst part about it happening in the world of Twilight 2000 is there's no real facilities for you to go to to rest up and to get back to normal. But there should be some sort of mechanic in there. Like sanity points in Call of Cthulhu. Now you're going to have people that seem to be able to take it, you know, uh, that can deal with it. You have others that it'll just hit them. Um, I was, I yeah, and it hits you in all kinds of ways. For example, I read um, History of the Franco-Prussian War in 1871, and one of the things was the Bavarian troops were so insanely frightened of what was going to happen in battle. You had a number of them that would actually stop by the side of the road, stick their rifle under their chins, and kill themselves rather than go into battle. They were already broken. Mm -hmm. um, there's a there's a, a, a number of things in the second edition, the 2.2 edition, where they've got these lists of NPCs, and they mention things like the exhausted veteran yeah. and the... the um, the inexperienced militiaman. And the writers are obviously, you know, thinking about, in fact, there was, um, I want to say there's a character who's like a, a SEAL in the um, last, uh, there's a SEAL team guys in Norway, is part of the last submarine thing, where, you know, it's just written into the character description, at some point he will break. Right when in the middle of some shit, he's going to hit that wall after you've been relying on him and he's been doing everything right, uh, he's going to break. And it's just part of the plot. The, the, the game master was in charge of deciding when that happened, whenever it was dramatic. Uh, but there was never any kind of mechanic. In the, so they were thinking about it. Yeah, I think one of the most dramatic portrayals that I've seen of it, and probably one of the most accurate, there was a movie that was actually made during World War II called A Walk in the Sun. Oh, great film. Yeah. One of, the best, one of the best World War II movies ever made. Ever made, yeah. Lloyd Bridges' character, who was one of the senior sergeants, you know, all of a sudden he breaks, and he's face down crying like a baby. And, you know, the funny thing is, the guys walk past him, and they're all kind of like, well, you know, he's, he's had too much. You know? And they were very sympathetic. And we always were. We always were. You look at Buck Compton. Guys are coming to visit him. Yeah. Because you know that someday that's going to be you. It's not a matter of it might happen. It's only a matter of when's it going to happen. When are you going to well, hit when, that wall? It's when the it's when the gunny what gunny uh, breaks in the Pacific. Yeah. And I guess it's is it Pelu or Guadalcanal? I guess it's Pelu. Yeah, Pelu. Uh, Pelu, uh, where he's the hardest thing. You know, he's as hard as a coffin nail 
and has all and all his shit is completely wired together and nothing's gonna go wrong. And the switch from everything's fine to everything's not. There's no warning. There's no. no there's no. There's no signs of it. Just it's suddenly he's out of gas. Yeah. And it was really shocking. Where it's like all the the newbies are like, oh my god, if that guy can can reach the end of his rope, what? Then there's no chance for the rest of us. We'll all reach our end of our ropes. Of course you will. That's the first. Yeah. That's one of the things you realize. You. But it's just a matter of, of when. One of the more interesting and certainly one of the more tragic answers I ever got was from one of my fellow Vietnam vets. We were talking about religion, and I said, um, when did you become an atheist? He said, I started, when did you start being in, when did you stop believing in God? His answer was when I saw my first dead kid. And it's funny because that's the same situation can produce a faith in God. Yeah. You know, whatever... Yeah. Uh, mechanisms you have to cope, and you know, so, I agree with you that something charting either morale or mental health or both would have been an interesting mechanic. Yeah, in a game like that. Um, the next question they have here, or next part of that question was, uh, was there any anywhere that you thought deserved a source book uh, that you really wish had gotten one? Kenya. Kenya, all right, because it was yours, obviously. Yeah, it was mine, yeah, obviously. Yeah. I like the idea. Um, I do wish that we had seen a few more European source books. I mean, we had the Central European source book that came out later, but one of the biggest complaints that I, I heard was that it's all about Americans. You know, you're fighting a war in Europe, but it's all about Americans. Well, we apologize for being Americans who published it, but... You know, when we wrote, and then we wrote things about England and got it wrong. And sadly, yeah. Yeah. The, UK, the UK source book is filled with embarrassing mistakes. So maybe it's best if we just stick to what we know. Either that um, or see if we can get some people, you yeah. know, who live in England, who are fans of the game, write the source book. You can, I would I would be, have much more faith in one written by, by the English. Uh, Jason's second question is, uh, what can you tell us about the inspiration for New America? Did you ever your scenarios never dealt with New America? Your your published scenarios never dealt with New America. But did you have any contact with the guys who were developing the New America? Uh, the guy that line? developed the New America plotline, I think, was Lauren Wiseman. Okay, up at GDW, they really wanted this. New America is kind of an odd. Uh, you know, today, when you look at the hate groups of today, the militia groups and such, and you, well, that's not New America. Well, it is and it isn't. New America was a very sophisticated operation. Hell, today, New America is known as the Tea Party, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> hey, now! Uh, you think you've just pissed off at least one-third of our audience. Probably. Um, but no, but, really. But they couldn't, they couldn't operate today. An organization that actual pyramidal organized, would get, more. yeah, they get sniffed out and found like that, you know. Um, um, yeah, and see, that's just a new America. We're supposed to be the bad guys. You'd be surprised at the number of T2K players that were kind of sympathetic to them. Yeah, no matter how weird they made them, um, uh, they they seem to have a lot. In, they reminded me uh, that maybe they drew some. Inspiration from David Brin's Holonists, 
Uh, although I'm not quite sure which was published first. Because mm -hmm. the early 2000s, what, 84? Yep. So that may, that may be in front of uh, David Brin's uh, Postman stuff. Um, but he may, I mean, they mentioned things like the Covenant and Sword and Arm of the Lord. Uh, oh, Jesus. Uh, they mentioned yeah. uh, uh, groups like uh, Matas and, and things like that. Um, uh, the thing that always struck me about New America is that um, if I was writing it for today, uh, I would make New America the puppet master behind these groups. Because yeah. so many of these groups have goals that are contrary to each other and they can't really cooperate. But if there's if they're all being manipulated behind the scenes by a a fifth column of, of American fascism, so they can talk religious talk to the people who are religiously motivated, and they can talk racial talk to the groups that are racially motivated. Actually, uh, if you really want to take a look, check out the Dominionist movement. Yeah. Yes, they'd be they'd be the kind of group that you know. They, there's New America. There's New America. Yeah. Well financed, well organized, and not secret. That's yeah. the thing that we th that's, that 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 kills me about New America. Oh, it's underground. But you know, in real life, they'd have a website. They'd have yeah, well, yes. Yeah, they have they have lobbyists. They'd yeah, have, they would. Yeah. You know, I mean, I've been to I've been to like Aryan Nations website. I've been to I do a lot of what you do a lot of oppositional research. Just to figure, just to find out exactly what those douchebags are up to these days, especially the kind of lies they tell and the kind of propaganda they put out. Yeah. And yeah, New America was like that. They were very slick. Um, the thing is, you know, the, of course, you know, they had what was his name, Carl Hughes. That's our yeah. That's our our uh, our no, not our new Fuhrer, but our new prophet, our new you know founding father. Yeah, well, what a founding father. I I always wished I was always very sorry that the scenario kidnapped uh, about kidnapping Carl Hughes from his underground bunker. Yeah, didn't didn't include character stats for Carl Hughes. I mean, it was like he's just assumed to be baggage, you know. Uh, and I was just thinking that if you're if you got a scenario where the whole point is to kidnap Carl Hughes and get him back to the authorities. While his goons are trying to find you and rescue, you know, the leader, uh, that his personality should be sort of critical to the scenario, especially yeah. if it turns out he's super charismatic. Oh, yeah. You know, if it turns out that he's like, you know, the best snake oil salesman in the world, you know, the team that's bringing him back, at some point they start falling under his spell or, or do one or two members start going, Hey, this guy's talking a lot of sense, you know, and then you have to shoot those guys. <laughs> I know, it's, it's crazy. It's wild. But, yeah, I, I mean, uh, when they were taking Carl Hughes, um, I know at least a couple of, of groups that when they did that, he resisted. They shot his ass dead. Yeah. Yes, this kidnapping, this arrest didn't, you know, went the way that um, – uh, it went for Bin Laden. Yep. <laughs> you know. Hey, uh, Osama, you want to come with us? No. Okay. <laughs> Hell, I'm but, not sure. Yeah. Glad we could do it your way. Uh, so one of the ne next question uh, I got here is about the color plates in the vehicle guides. Um, and I know that you did the NATO vehicle yeah. guide. 
Um, uh, Jason wanted to know if there was any um, real life or uh, or notional color schemes that inspired the illustrations, and whether or not, because you wrote up the descriptions for them, whether or not you had any input with creating I, I, some of the... I didn't. Okay. I had, I had zero input. Some of the color schemes in those color plates um, looked like they were based on best guest estimates. You know, they look pretty cool. Sometimes I think you do a lot of this, or some of this was done, just because it looked good. And why not? Yeah. yeah. Why not? I mean, you're talking to a man that paints the um, three-color ambush camouflage scheme on his German vehicles for World War II by <laughs> hand. So you like you like some pretty colors. Oh, but in fact, there's my case full of miniatures. Yes. Right back there. Uh, we have the same disease. Um, uh, but, 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 but. Kevin Empey asks, uh, and this is relatively... Uh, might be uh, uh, a, a, a uh, not a conflict, but a uh, controversy. What was your opinion of the uh, 2013 Twilight 2013 uh, game released by uh, 93 Game Studio? Did you have a chance to look at it? Yes, I have a PDF copy. Okay. My grandmother always said that if you can't see anything good about something, then don't say anything at all. Is there anything good to say about the actual mechanics, if not the setting? Um, because my complaints are setting. I never got into mechanics enough to yell about it. And, you know. The mechanics, I didn't care for them. I think other people might. Uh, for me, I remember, I didn't like Twilight 2000 first edition mechanics. Welcome to the club. <laughs> you know, so it's only when they hit uh, 2 and 2.2, or rather 2.1 and 2.2, especially 2.2, they actually got somewhere. Yeah. Agreed. But as far as I guess, I mean, obviously they put a lot of work into it. Jared, you wanted to... Oh, no, I was just going to say, Scott, well, you don't want to start another edition wars? No, we don't, really. Oh, okay. We yeah. really don't. As um, far as, I mean, you know, to me, ultimately, though, if Twilight 2013, if you like it and you, you run it and your players have a good time playing it, then it's fine. It works. That is the end of the equation. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, that's the that's one element answer. And, and uh, kudos for them for you know taking the initiative and do it. You know. Yeah. Yeah. I'll give uh, them that. We're down to our last four questions here. Uh, I, have, just, I have a couple. Once you get through those four, I have a couple more for you. All right. Just right. Gilbrunson asks, "What would you change about what you've written if you had a chance to rewrite it today, looking back?" And I think you mentioned. The, the, Islamist, the, the Islamic fundamentalism was not yeah. on our radar. Yeah, I would change that. You'd see a lot more of it. Um, you know, you'd, you'd see a lot more of it. Um, and as I said before, it, uh, you know, the funny thing is, Iran, you know, I, was, I, I used to wince when I would reread the RDF source book going, Whatever it was I think, but I was going on the information we had at the time. And you know, looking at Iran now, that may not be that far fetched. Except I happen to believe that we are no—you're no longer going to see an American expeditionary force going anywhere. Yeah. yeah. Um, not of that size, not of that magnitude. But uh, changing—I don't know. I—I probably change New America. 
I changed to America, and that would be about it. How would you change it? Would you make it a, a public institution rather than a private? I mean, known. Like it yeah. would have a website. It would have Oh, yeah. It would have its own website. It would have rallies. Uh, it would have you know all kinds of things. Oh, it could be a it could be the the new American third party. Yeah, new American third party. You know, so it's not the Republicans and the Democrats. It's new America. Yeah, it could uh, be its own. You know, you have all of this percolating out there. I think that would be even cooler. You know, yeah, that yeah. would work even better. That that almost sounds like the um, a little bit like the the governmental organization. In that, um, oh, what the hell is that movie series? There was two of them out there. It was uh, shit. It, they just came out with the second one within the last year. The one where they have the twenty-four hours of violence. Um, oh, oh, the purge. Uh, purge. Yeah, the purge. You know it, that new what, you, what you're describing about the website, the other party, almost sounds a little bit like this new America that you're talking. Well, they about. keep calling them the new founding fathers. The I mean, new founding yeah. fathers. Yeah. 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 I'll admit I couldn't get to the first purge. There's a point in the movie where I went, I don't care about anybody in this movie. I'm bored, and I stopped watching. So I, I have no idea if the second one's any. But um, uh, but no, I mean that's what I would. Not only that, but you may even see something. I would if I would have put in there. I'd have put in something like, uh, oh, let's say, um, Victorious Truth Ministries, New America, goes religious. Yes, and therefore tax-free. Yep. Yeah. You know, have it, headquartered, own, have it headquartered down here in Florida. Our, our mm -hmm. own version of the Taliban. Not only that, but dude, when you can get a preacher like Creflo Dollar, who gets $65 million to get a new freaking jet, come on, man. Yeah. Uh, and did he make it? Because I remember he was asking for the money. Did he actually get it? I'm not. I'm not sure. I think they really kind of closed that up because it was embarrassing. Yeah. Well, um, what the hell? Peter Popoff came back, one of the yep. great fake faith healers that got done in by uh, James Randi in the 70s. 20 years later, everybody forgot he's back to doing the same old nonsense. Um, and here's the thing: in a medieval America where you've lost TV and radio and all that kind of stuff, uh, religion would have been a really interesting way to motivate yep. people in the Twilight 2000 world. Um, you know, whether it's faith healing or uh, uh, miracles, uh, you know, which would have that supernatural aspect, except, you know, at the end you can pull the mask off and it's really Mr. Jenkins, the caretaker for the, the abandoned yeah. amusement park or whatever Scooby-Doo does. But yeah. the idea of, of working religion in, but it was always a thorny subject. Yes, it is. It's a thorny subject in a lot in most RPGs anyway. Yeah. It's a thorny, it's a thorny subject in real life. As well. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 So, um, uh, Lee Hannah asks uh, or says uh, the Black Madonna and other Pol Polish modules won me a lifetime interest in Polish history. Uh, what got you uh, to do that research? And to add the icon, the Black Madonna, into the game, what was it inspired that? My friend Stephanie Robbins. Okay. She, she was, and I want to give her full and due credit if Steph's watching this, that um, she had mentioned, 
because I said, okay, what, what can they be looking for? And she said, oh, haven't you ever heard of the Black Madonna of Chestahova? Well, it's a great name, first of yes. all. It's, it's the Black Madonna? Yeah, but you know where it got the name from. Uh, no, I don't remember from the scenario. It's called the Black Madonna because the painting itself is, is very stained and old. Okay. And besides, it did not originate in uh, Poland. It actually originated in the Ukraine. Uh, oh. of, yeah, and it was oh. brought to Poland. And so, it's, so it's, it's foreign loot? It's actually looted from the Ukraine? No, it was not foreign loot. It was a gift. Oh, okay, okay, okay. okay. It was a gift from the Prince of, o, I believe from the Prince of Opol. Okay. But I'm very glad to hear that this guy is, because Polish, you know, history is fascinating. Poland has a very fascinating history. And, not, to uh, mention, not to mention, not, Jan Sobieski does not get enough credit for saving Western Europe. Jan Sobieski does not, yeah. Jan Sobieski saved Western Europe. He doesn't get enough credit, just like the Soviets don't get enough credit for winning World War II in Europe. Yeah. Yeah, there, you know? there was when D-Day rolled around. Somebody posted on my Facebook page. Yeah, let's talk about D-Day, and let's talk about on the other side of the football field was this battle the Soviets and the Germans are having that makes D-Day look like a punch up in a bar. It's just yeah, the scale is is insanely Operation. Huge. I believe it was Operation Bagration. You got the, it. The destruction of Army Group Center. But anyway. Um, I did this. No, that's, that's, a, that's an SPI title, isn't it? Yes. Yes, it is. Yes, All right. Yes, it is. But no, I mean, I got this. I got the idea. Bless her heart. She 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 was also the one because she was really getting into Soviet studies mm -hmm. at the time. By the way, she now works for the U.S. government. She's currently in Tbilisi, Georgia. And by the way, some of her postings there from when they went out to help do flood relief work. Mm -hmm. Very, very, very interesting. But Steph is a very savvy, you know, she knows her stuff. She's a tremendous scholar. She also started me on Spetsnaz. Ah, everybody's favorite Cold War baddies. Yeah, yeah. And definitely, definitely the, the, the stand, they are the worthy fucking adversaries for the players. When yes, it comes they are. When it comes time to sick a bunch of guys on the players in 2000, where man for man, they're a threat to player characters. Yes, those are the guys. Yep. Oh yeah, and uh, and uh, your and your Spetsnaz that you created for that for for the Black Madonna. Yeah. Became the blueprint for everybody else's uh, Spetsnaz. You know, yeah. afterwards, frankly, I, I uh, it, right down to the part where they uh, a couple of authors. Took your abbreviation for special signals detachment. Yes. And thought that was a Spetsnaz designation and not their cover, where they'd write up another Spetsnaz unit as SSD twenty seven, and I'm like, oh my god, you didn't even read what Frank wrote, did you? Oh well. <laughs> special chest. Yeah, but see, that's what they. I believe mine was SSD one oh nine. Yeah. They had a, um, but that was their cover, and one of the most fascinating, which you know, long the Spetsnaz has been around. Um, I did some research on this a while back, and my there's not there's sort of deception troops from World War Two, but they're not quite Spetsnaz. We're talking World War or post World War One, Spanish ah, okay. Spanish Civil War. Okay. And that I did uh, not know. Oh yeah, but anyway, now so that's that's what got me into it. 
and I thought, well, here we've got this wonderful, you know, mythical, you know, uh, icon, the Black Madonna. Mm-hmm. Now, wow, this sounds like an Indiana Jones, Indiana Jones and the Black Madonna. It's such a great. It's like a four-way fight. I mean, there's so many yeah. cool interested parties. There's your there's your Cold War standard antagonist with the Spetsnaz guys. There's uh, you know the Margrave of Silesia, who's yep. one of the most lasting characters you've ever created. That guy made perfect sense for his yep. time and place. He was you know he's not a good guy, but he's not necessarily your enemy. But he's he's the guy who's being a realistic warlord. Um, and then there's the you know the the, the the father and the peasants organization you know yep. who do you hand this thing off to um, yeah the, uh, the 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 number of options in that scenario were all very believable uh, and and very yep and, and tested the players not just their practicality but their moral compass yeah and that's part of what it was and uh, I said I really enjoyed that. Um, of course, you also too. I think had one of the most interesting characters I I think I've created, and that's Captain Molly Warren. Yep, Molly's, been, yeah, Molly. Yeah, Molly. Molly shows up being almost like you know, uh, you're, you know, she she's there to shock the players. Yep, because she never she never met a Russian she didn't shoot. Yeah, or right. hang. And uh, that always shocked my players. Where they're like, thank goodness, guys wearing American uniforms. It's ah, they speak. Oh, they're from America. It's great. And then they start, and then they act like they are. Sort of, I hate to say it, but I want to say they act like Europeans because they're completely invested in all of the old hates. You know yep. what I mean? Americans hold themselves separate from the hates yep. in, in Europe, yep. but these people have been there long enough that they are now invested in the local area, and they've adopted. Yeah, those, those those attitudes. Oh yeah, no, she was a very uh, uh, girlfriend of mine at the time, who was a uh, feminist, believe it, you know, actually one of the really cool feminists, and still is, by the way. Um, she said she understood exactly, you know, in a way what Molly Warren was about. If you've ever seen, and uh, Jared, I think you might have seen this, a movie called "I Spit on Your Grave." Uh, I didn't see it, but I but I know, but I know all the gory. It's infamous. It is an infamous movie. Yeah, but uh, when you look at what, yeah, when you look at what she does, she sees she goes out to reclaim herself. It's what she's doing. Well, that's what Molly is doing, one Russian at a time. And her favorite phrase is, "I don't really, I can't really, you know, I don't really know who it was that raped me." I didn't get a good look at him, but I figure if I kill enough of these bastards, the law of averages is going to be on my side eventually. Uh, certainly, Joe Bob Briggs cited um, "I yeah. Spit on Your Grave" as his famous, his favorite feminist movie, um, and I I see his point. Uh, yeah, I have not I have not seen it yet. Uh, I've seen it, and trust me, uh, I was ready to throw up after about the first forty-five minutes when you see what was done to her. Yeah. My question about it is, just to get off, but we'll get back on target, but one of the things that was deeply disturbing about reading about um, uh, Spitting Your Grave is that one of the perpetrators of the rape is mentally retarded, if I, and it's kind of like yep. bullied into doing it. It's kind of bullied into doing it by the other horrible guys, and that does not save him. Nope. 
No, he is not saved by pleading special circumstances. I only have an IQ of 60, and the other guys, you know, pushed me into doing it. That doesn't help. And that's really creepy about the film and that revenge revenge doesn't give a shit about your excuses. Yeah. You know? Oh, by the way, I uh, I remember when they first ran into Captain Molly, mm -hmm. and uh, she had like five Russians <coughs> with nooses around their necks standing on the back of one of her Lab 25s. or I'm trying to, Yeah, I think it was a Lab 25. And they go, what are you doing? Uh, I'll be right with you in a minute. Drive. Puts it in gear. <laughs> she hangs all five off. And she says, just taking out the trash. Well, my players are like, oh, bandits. Yeah, bandits are deserters. Yeah, that's what you do. And he's like, no, they weren't bandits. What? No, they were just, uh, they were from a uh, local motorized rifle division. He's like, uh. And my players had killed deserters and thieves and marauders. Yeah. All the time. But they did have, you know, some kind of Marcus of Queensbury rules when it came to anyone but the the the, the Zompolites the or, or the KGB. Yep. They they yep. they were like, yeah, you're just you don't want to be here either. But when it came to the Zampolites, the KGB, or or guys who had just gone marauder, but to have her do that where she just and it was the hanging that got it. It was actually yeah. they were actually more creeped out by the hangings. Yep. Than they were by the uh, by somebody getting shot because I guess the the, the feeling that a, a firing squad would be like more military and a hanging is like criminal, you know? Yeah. Uh, but um, uh, let's hear. Uh, uh, oh, Matt, Matt Weiser's got two questions and these are the last two. One is, uh, how did you feel? It's a question about the Mexican invasion of the American Southwest. Okay. Because this is one of the things twenty two thousand players love debating. Is the Mexican invasion of the Southwest and the Ala and the Soviet invasion of Alaska? Those are the two things they like to groan about, as far as the logistics don't work and they don't think. But he says Mexican invasion unrealistic or possible under the circumstances as presented in the in the in the uh, in the game. What do you think? First of all, the question would be why? Why are they coming north? My God, you know. Unless you happen to have a few of the generals down there that are, I can't remember, there's a political movement down there which wants to reclaim the American Southwest. Mm -hmm. uh, and I can't remember what they're called, but they've been around for a very long time. They've been around since at least since at least World War II. Uh, but overall, they'd be too, to me, in my opinion, they'd be too damn busy trying to put their own country back together. Agreed. Uh, uh, I, think, I think what that really was put in there for was to stir up a little more excitement. Because everybody likes a little little red dawn with their Twilight 2000. Well that was just it. You know you're looking for you're looking for red dawn. Uh, now as far as the Soviet invasion of Alaska uh, let me give you to answer Matt's question and to oh, answer Jason's question. The Alaskan one was just me throwing it in but please ask it anyway. Do you answer it anyways? Okay. Several of us went to see, I can't remember the movie, but we were all, it was, Steffi was part of us. Stephanie Robbins was part of, part of our little group. I'm trying to remember, but we saw the trailers for Red Dawn. And we're watching, you know, and you see the parachutes coming down, and each other going, okay, that's got to be Alaska. So we figured, our scenario said, that's probably about a platoon 
of Soviet Spetsnaz, more likely Radoviki or Raiders, who are yeah. the equivalent of our U.S. Army, probably come down to blow up the pipeline. Okay, because that would make sense. Then we get there, we, they're landing in Colorado. What the? That was one of the all-time great WTF moments. <laughs> it's, it's a little inland. There, there appears to have been a slight malfunction at and, it, and And when they talk about the whole, you know, something about X amount of army groups coming across the Bering Strait, and we're like, Jesus Christ, they couldn't supply three divisions out there. We know yeah. we've read the logistics reports. Yeah, there's there's nothing between Nome and Anchorage. There's no... Uh, I've looked... Uh, me looking at maps, I'm not seeing roads connecting the Seward Peninsula with the corridor that goes up and down between Fairbanks yeah. and, 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 but, and Anchorage. But you can't wanted, drive through it. It's just wilderness. It's howling they, wilderness. Yeah, they wanted... They wanted uh, they wanted Red Dawn, and they got it. Yeah. And that's fine. That's fine. And I, and I admit, I want it too. And when I play Twilight 2000, I always tinker with the uh, the backstory so I can have my Red Dawn. Yeah. So I, can have my, I want my Russians in Alaska. I want yeah. my, my Russians and my Mexican communists in Texas because it's more fun. That's actually, it. Actually, for me, it wouldn't be the communists. It would be the cartelistas. Well, nowadays, that's another thing. We didn't ever imagine the power of the cartel. I mean, the cartels are important in Red Star, Lone Star. Um, yeah. they're, they're, they're actually the main bad guys. But I don't think we really knew <laughs> at the time how big the cartels were going to get and how once the narcotics go away, they really are positioned to become regional warlords. I mean... <laughs> Just because the drug industry goes away doesn't mean that they're not going to go, well, I guess we can just go ahead and be in charge. You know I mean? <laughs> you know, uh, I, I, Mexico would be in a civil war, you know, if you were rewriting Twilight 2000 for the Oh, moment. hell yes. It's practically in a civil war now. Um, but, yeah, they wouldn't be coming over the border unless it's the cartels uh, looking, to, looking for resources okay. uh, or something. But that's a good one. The cartels would be like that. That's left out, like the jihadists are left out. Yeah. Okay. Um, last I mean, question. But it, but, it, but it makes sense, you know, because it's real world shit, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Last question. Uh, let's see here. Uh, da, 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 uh, uh, Matt asks about lines of uh, Twilight. Um, uh, there was a talk about a chat. He also asked. He's asking about things that that were in the pipeline. Do you remember anything or know anything about the um, Korean source, if there was a Korean source book in the works? And uh, uh, and uh, if there was anything about like a, a, a Northwest source book, so it would be about America, maybe up the coastline to Alaska, sort of something to cover that. Was it, any, any hints of Korea or the Northwest? I had heard there was a Korean uh, source book. Okay. Uh, I had an RDF update in which most of the U.S. Army in Korea, which is, I think that's the 8th Army. Yes, sir. Yeah, pulls out and heads for the Persian Gulf. It's closer to get to than crossing the Pacific. And a lot less risky. Yes, well, you don't, for one thing, you don't have to, well, depends. There's all those marvelous pirates down in the Sulu Sea and through yeah. the Straits of Malacca. I'm sure that's not going to be a problem. <laughs> Uh, on the my, other hand, um, would they be crazy enough to uh, 
attack a convoy that's escorted by warships? Well, it depends how escorted they are. It's that surface fleet that we were asked about later, how much of it is on the surface and how much of it is perhaps under the surface. There um, we go. But, uh, yeah, no, all I heard about was the Korean source book, and I believe Tom Mulkey was actually looking to, to work on that. I, I think that's correct. Did you, did you, was, was the Korean source book, do you know anything about it? Because I always thought that a Korean source book, if there was one, would be about how do we get these guys out of Korea? You know, no, it, I, that's, that's all I really know, know of it. I, you know, I think it was going to be called the Herm, Twilight and the Hermit Kingdom. and Yeah. You know stuff like that, but that's all I really—that's all I really know. Um, I wish I could give you a better answer, but I don't know. Okay, Mr. Wallace, you got questions. Frank's got answers. Yep, I got a few more questions, folks. And uh, if you are listening, uh, these are these are our last questions, so don't post any more. Uh, if you do post some more, we'll try to get them to Frank again to you know contact him directly, uh, possibly. But uh, as far as the show goes, these are the last three. So, but again, thank and thank you everybody for posting questions during the show, and uh, appreciate we do appreciate it because that really helped fuel uh, this discussion that we're having uh, this week. So, um, uh, John had asked, uh, "Do you think with the current change in the U.S.-Russian uh, relationships, Twilight 2000 could gain new life?" Ooh, that's interesting. Uh, I think it could, to my carefully considered opinion, given what I have seen in Washington, especially coming from the White House, I don't think you're going to see massive commitments of American troops anymore. Uh, it's going to be asymmetrical warfare. It's going to be cyber warfare. But think about it. Somebody gains control of uh, some of our national grids, they could shut down every power station in this country. And they could easily do it. Cause I, just wa I watched the whole thing about that, mm -hmm. and, and they talked about how they're in our systems now. All our infrastructure for electricity and water utilities are so vulnerable and open, and it's like they're in our systems, but we're also in their systems as well. Yep. So, so it's kind of like uh, it's, actually, it's a Mexican standoff. Mutually assured destruction. Yep. <laughs> What Frank said. We're going to mad, only now we're not doing it with nukes, we're doing it with viruses. Yes, and not the fun kind that give you a runny nose and, you know, uh, yeah. sponge you, and spongiform encephalitis. It's the horrible kind of viruses that wipe out your iTunes account. <laughs> what? You know, no, no more Justin Bieber, huh? No! Well, that, that could be a good thing. Please, not bring the, it on. Not bring the it on. No. Uh, uh, I got one question for Frank when we're done because I just that that reminded me of something. The Bieber okay. thing. And that, that'll, that'll be the last thing. So uh, a second question from John, again related to this, is: Do you think that the Twilight that Twilight 2000 lost its fans when the Cold War officially ended in 1990? Um, no, I I don't. But I think what happened is, in my opinion, uh, the ending of the Cold War really kind of, I think, caught a lot of the Twilight crew, uh, caught them out, because they're like, okay, now what do we do? Because I've always said that Twilight 2000 was the ultimate Reagan-era slash Cold War RPG, 
And it really was. It's it's you're role playing in a Tom Clancy techno thriller. It's oh yeah. Is what you're doing. Well, look at what happened to the techno thriller genre when the Cold War ended. It really stumbled a lot of the writers, a lot of the series. They're gone. And um, I think I don't know as if we lost fans. I think it was a combination. I think it was a combination. We did. That's when I would have come out with alternate timeline. This is an alternate history. This is what could have happened. You know, this is what could have happened. Oh well, hell! Look at the incident with the Bitburg Eagles in 1983. That was for real. You know. You mean the um, the radar contact thing? Yeah, the whole nine yards, where where it was one Soviet officer who decided, no, I'm not going to launch. Yeah. That basically saved us all from living in caves, you know, and and squatting in our own poop. Okay. Yeah. Our, our radioactive poop. Yes, <laughs> but uh, no. I to to really make it clear, I think it was a combination of both. Uh, it lost interest because the cold, you know, the Cold War was over. Uh, it, you know, I don't think we responded as effectively as we could have. Do you think it would? It required several years to go by before anyone would suddenly go back to it with a sense of nostalgia because when it. When the Cold War is unraveling, and East Europe and the Soviet Union are unraveling, I get why they're, they're sort of a what's the point. But a few years go by, and people start to look back on that age that was with a different perspective. It would, it, 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 the trick is how do you preserve the IP during the slump period before yeah. the renewed interest? Yeah, that is. That was one of the problems. And unfortunately, GDW went under, I think, what, 96? wasn't terribly much longer. I don't think they survived 95, but... Um. Yeah, and they went under, and suddenly, it's gone now. It's vaped out. Uh, I kind of miss it. I kind of miss those good old days when you woke up and you knew the evil commies were hiding under your bed. You well, had a sense we, of purpose. At least we knew where they were, and we knew we could, we could, well, we could count on them. You know? Yes. Yeah. And we knew what they looked like. They were, you know... They were strong and broad with big fur hats, and we, we, knew, we knew what they looked like. You know, and, we knew we knew they where, and we knew where they lived, and we knew where they kept all their stuff. So it was yeah. very easy to have a nice, comfortable standoff with guys when you knew where all their stuff was. Um, our current batch of villains don't seem to want to have any stuff. They seem to have mud huts and machetes. Listen, that's a whole whole different thing. Yeah. All right, the, last, the last question that, uh, I have from... It looks like I think uh, William, yeah, Bargo asked uh, another question. He goes, um, oh, by the way, he says he does like the idea of a Twilight 2000 uh, Call Cthulhu BRP uh, combo. Uh, he says, one uh, the question is, did you ever catch any flack from the government for your looking into mil military technical data? Because I caught some for having some of your books in our barracks back in 1987. Wow. I'm actually flattered. I hope to God you didn't get into a lot of trouble. <laughs> but here's an interesting thing. Two incidents. And to answer William's question. One, I think um, when I was in Vietnam, and uh, I had said something about the Katyusha rocket systems, you know, this, that, and the other. And I was like, I think it was a spec four or something like that. And they said, uh, and this one second thing goes, 
why that's that's confidential that's classified information where did you learn that and I said sir the big golden book of World War two Southeast Public Library I looked it up and he was like yeah. you mean they let civilians yeah and I'm like this guy just this was history this was available the other one was <clears> when <throat> I used to play a lot of um, uh, uh, air power, air superiority. It's an air combat game. The guy that designed it's a navy was a former navy pilot, J.D. Webster, and it was designed with all the latest information from aviation and space tech. You know, weekly, we used to call it aviation and space league. Uh, but we went down to Mc. We used to game down to McDill Air Force Base, and we went down there one time. And my friend Jim Cumber and I were in that Burger King down there, and we're talking about our pseudo mission. We're talking about our SU-25s because we were flying Warpack that that night. We're going through all the different, and these two guys behind us are going, "Excuse us, but where did you learn all that?" And I, I turned around, I realized these guys were in flight suits and both had the red flag emblem on. <laughs> oh, so they were playing Op Four. Yeah, they were doing the Op Four. He said, "Where did you? Where did you get?" And I told him, "I said this is in a game. This is in a game." And I said, "This, this, that, and the other." And both of them just kind of looked at me. And it, actually, the reaction I thought was very cool. They're going, "Good. I'm glad to see civilians learning about this stuff." You know, because it because basically it was like, you know, help you make political decisions. I uh, I was doing some research for a Twilight 2000 game, and I asked a guy who was uh, in the Navy Reserve a question about some Navy system. I don't mm -hmm. remember what it was. It might have been the Mark 48 torpedo. I don't know. But I asked him some specific questions about it because I was trying to figure out, like, the players have to strip something out and carry it. How do you transport one of these, you know? How do you move the torpedoes or a special vehicle? Do you need a tractor trailer? Can you dismantle it? You know, things like that. So I'm asking very specific questions. And he didn't really answer me. And then, he, like, a day later, he comes back and he says, listen, I, I need to know why you want to know. Because when people ask us questions like that, we're supposed to contact the Office of Naval Intelligence or the um, not or, or whatever the um, the counterintelligence version is. I guess yeah. ONI is intelligence, but uh, there's another one, which I can't remember the uh, uh, anagram for. But we're supposed to contact them and tell them that somebody's asking about the Westman system. And, I had to explain it was you know, it's Y two thousand. It's a game, it's, you know. And he's like, "Oh, okay." <clears throat> so he wasn't too upset, you know. And I didn't get a visit from you know the government. But uh, here's the really weird thing: when I was living in New Orleans, I was trying to write some Y two thousand material. Uh, the, I guess the late eighties, and I wanted to say something in New Orleans, so I called up the Superdome. And asked, "Hey, do you guys have like a blueprint or a map of the Superdome I could get?" And because it's not 9/11, they sent me this map, this very Holy very detailed cow. map of the Superdome. And this is just one of like there's like multiple levels to the map showing each layer of the Superdome. Then there's holy the cow. And it goes, it goes on and on. I think there's like three or four of these for the you know laying out all yeah three of these maps incredibly detailed 
all the exits, shows all the rooms, all the corridors, all the bathrooms. And I just thought, you know, and they just sent it right to me for free. Was this this diagram of the Superdome? And all I can think is, there's no way, there's no, no way I no. would get the diagrams of the Superdome if the you know if I had called up the Superdome and said, can you send? Got any? They would have said, sure. What's your phone number and address? And sent that right to the FBI. Oh yeah. Yeah. Glancy, that's an Irish name. He sounds like one of those IRA terrorists, you know. Yeah. But yeah, this is one of my favorite treasures because even though I never got to use it for for a publication, I keep it around just because it's it's hilarious that it's an it, you know, no one would ever do this again. Oh no! And uh, did you, did you actually do anything with it, Scott? Did you make? A yeah, I did. I, I actually wrote a, a couple of scenarios set in New Orleans, and I had yes, the New Americans camped out in the Superdome, not unlike everyone camped out in the Superdome. During Katrina, it was very odd seeing all those people in Katrina and that weird little citadel around the Superdome. Wow. And that's that's what I had built for the scenario was a new American outpost in the ruins of New Orleans. Um, but yeah, wow. I, I I submitted it to you know Lauren Weissman and he said that's nice, kid. You know, call us back when you got a real scenario. I, I didn't I didn't get published, obviously. Um, but I, I got a, I got better reception from that than I did from. You remember the Twilight 2000 uh, article about Hot Cuisine 2000, yeah. which was the article on the MRE. I, I tried to send in an article on cannibalism, and they're like, "Yeah, we're not publishing this." <laughs> yeah, but yet one of the T2000 modules that was not published in-house by GDW, I forget who it was that published it dealt exactly with that. That was at the climax of the adventure. Oh, no, it was Rifle River. It did turn up in Challenge. Oh, it, oh, okay, yeah. Well, there was another one, too, where they're mucking around Los Angeles, and they're trying to find uh, their lieutenant. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that one, and I'm like, okay. Yep, there's cannibals in that one, too. Yeah. Uh, but, but, yeah, I, I, I'd gotten fascinated by it because I read Larry, uh, Larry Niven and Purnell's, you know, uh, Lucifer's Hammer. Yeah. And so I wanted to write something up sort of compiling uh, cannibalism and fiction into sort of a, an article for it. And they were like, no, we're not. It's Moms might see this. We're not publishing it. Go away. Try those creeps over at Chaosium. They like gross stuff. So, so that's Scott, it. You said you had one more thing for him, or, or we're good? Uh, the last question would be, have you ever put a live human being, a, a historical figure, into a Twilight 2000 game where you dropped uh, a celebrity or um, uh, a real-life uh, political or, or military leader and dropped it on your players just so they could go, holy shit, it's, it's you know, it's, uh, you know, whoever. It's what, you know, like, it's Bieber. Yeah. You're, Get him. you're famous. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah. If it was Bieber, they all just opened fire. It's Bieber. Get him. <laughs> Um, no, no, I, I can't think of any. Uh, I used to do that in Space 1889. That was oh, yeah. a lot of fun. Yes, yeah, so you've got to have Mark Twain turn up, and you've got to have Otto von Bismarck, and yes, everybody, yes. Oh, yeah, I did a whole adventure campaign, Teddy Roosevelt on Mars. Yes, please. I'll have <laughs> some anyway. of that, please. But anyway. Uh, All right, so... Uh, 
All right, so those were we had a lot of questions, a lot of good questions from uh, our customers, our fans. Uh, <laughs> again, work slipping in there. So uh, yes, we had a lot of good questions, uh, a lot of a lot of good discussion. I hope everybody got their questions answered satisfactory. You know, uh, ho hopefully everybody liked the answers that they heard. Uh, so uh, thank you, Frank, for uh, joining us again. Well, and, you're quite and, welcome. And doing this Q and A uh, this time. Uh, from the from the fans, you know, because I think last time we, you know, last time we more just like discussed the you know the, the game and asked you questions. This way, you know, like I said, this time we wanted to hear what do the fans want to hear. So we are. Oh yeah, there were plenty of fans who were very frustrated that we didn't get to the topic they wanted to get to. Yeah, so 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 we tried to do that this time, uh, and I think we you know get, got everybody's questions answered. So we again thank you very much for for being on. We appreciate You're welcome. it. Welcome, and uh, if I might have a, a minute or so here. I'd like to thank all the fans out there. I'd like to thank you guys. But I want to say all the fans out there, Adam and Jason and Mark and all of you, because without you, I don't have a career, as small as it might be, but still, without you guys, you're what makes, it, you're what makes writing worthwhile. And that's all. Thank you all very much. And let's hope that Twilight 2000 just stays a game. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah. A little, I'm a little too interested in my Xbox One now and my heating pad and my my air conditioning. Yeah, and my, yeah. Smart, and my smartphone and my uh, hot meals and my, you know. Uh, oh, yeah. And let's not forget all the medications us old men are taking these days because we've all got them now. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think the lack of medications will definitely fall into what do they call it after the apocalypse? Like the, the secondary kill. Uh, yeah. What they call it. Uh, people talk about all oh, the violence in this. Um, I think we forgot to lump in everybody on medication is going to yeah. be in, in the secondary kill. Yeah. Uh, we, that's something I did. when you mentioned it, I'm like, oh yes, we never included that. So, uh, but again, folks, uh, thank you for joining us uh, this week. For our, our Q&A with Frank Fry, from uh, who has done a lot of writing for the Twilight 2000 game, uh, we appreciate you listening. Uh, again, we'll be on schedule for two weeks from now, and um, I don't know what the subject is going to be yet, but I have an inkling of what I want to do. I had a suggestion come from one of our fans, and it was something that I was like, "Oh yeah, we we've maybe touched on it, but we didn't have a whole we didn't have a, a general discussion on it." Is uh, medicine and healthcare in the mm. apocalypse? And I'm like, yeah, you know what? That's a good, that's a good topic to talk about. We've again touched on it a little bit in places, but we never really talked about medicine. So I think mm -hmm. the next show we're going to talk about, me you know, you know, we're going to talk about your HMO in the apocalypse. So we're going to wow. see. <laughs> you get see. The, your HMO in the apocalypse is where you're sticking the maggots in the festering wound to clean it out. I think uh, basically. So yeah. uh, So I think that's what I think that's what's going to be our next topic uh, in two weeks, folks. So again, uh, thank you for joining us. Thank you again very much, Frank. Thank you, Scott, and thank you for all our watchers. So uh, we will see you in the wastelands. Thank you and good night. Good night. <laughs>